the College Planning Edge. Multiply your odds of getting into your dream college and get your hands on thousands of dollars of fat, juicy scholarships. Brought to you by Lockwood College Prep, helping college-bound families get the edge in college admissions, financial aid, scholarships, and test prep. Welcome to the College Planning Edge podcast and also the audio that's going to be transcribed into the College Planning Edge newsletter, which is available to our private client VIP inner circle parents. I'm Andy Lockwood, and College Planning Edge is brought to you by me and Lockwood College Prep and Pearl, my wife, who does all the financial aid forms, which is the topic of today's session, today's episode. So October 1st is when all of the forms come out, at least the two main ones, the FAFSA, Free Application for Federal Student Aid, and the CSS Profile. CSS stands for College Scholarship Search, or I'm sorry, College Scholarship Service Profile. Even though what I just told you is totally irrelevant, there is a difference between the two forms. Each college in the United States, approximately 4,000, require the FAFSA. In addition to that, there are approximately 400 colleges that require the CSS profile in addition to, not in lieu of, the FAFSA. So it's very important to figure out which colleges will require which forms. And the only way that you can do that is by going down your entire college list, school by school, and making sure that you find the How to Apply for Financial Aid page and write down what they require. I would not rely on the College Board website because I have found mistakes here and there in the past. I've been doing this about 18 years, so they crop up when least expected. And I would not rely on any other websites or other parents or your guidance counselors. You can't outsource this. You've got to do it yourself. So the next question besides which form should you file is when are they due? And that answer depends on each and every college that you apply to. If you are applying early action or early decision and you're applying to a private college which takes the CSS profile, then I would be suspicious that your financial aid priority deadline coincides with the application deadline. So a couple of comments here. Number one, those are two different deadlines I'm talking about. The application deadline and the financial aid deadline. Number two, I mentioned that most of the CSS profile colleges are private colleges. They tend to be the ones that you see in the Northeast, the elite and slightly less elite private liberal arts colleges. Now, that is only a general statement because several state universities require the CSS profile, namely the University of Michigan, the University of Virginia, and the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. 
But none of that matters. You have to look up on each of your college's websites which forms are required and their priority deadlines. If you miss a priority deadline, if you apply your, to, for the financial aid after the priority deadline passes, then you're risking not being fully considered for the fair award that you should have otherwise received. That's why it's super important to never blow a priority deadline. If you apply before the priority deadline, that does not mean that you are going to get more money. It just means that you are diligent. It doesn't count except for your ability to pat yourself on the back, which is nice. Okay, now let's talk about what happens if you make a mistake on the financial aid forms. It's very easy to make mistakes. There are mistakes of omission and there are mistakes of commission. So an example of a mistake of omission is forgetting to disclose some savings that you have. Another mistake of omission could be omitting to learn the strategies that could improve your eligibility for financial aid. Speaking of savings, some types of savings count against you more than others, and some do not count against you at all. Generally speaking, savings in a parent's name will penalize you far less than saving in a child's name. Parent savings are penalized at roughly 5% of the full amount, and child savings are penalized at up to 25% of the amount. Here's an example. If you had $100,000 saved in your name, the parent, then you would reduce your eligibility for financial aid by $5,000. However, that same $100,000 in a child's name will reduce your eligibility by $25,000 at most schools. That's the implications of making a mistake on the forms. And if you multiply that one mistake times four, if it's four years for that kid, or maybe times eight or 12, if you have two or more children, you can see the major problems with making even slightly little little mistakes, slight little mistakes. So sometimes it makes sense to move your savings from a place where it penalizes you far more to a place that penalizes you less. And sometimes it makes sense to move your savings to a type of deposit that does not penalize you at all. And those types of exempt assets or deposits are listed in the financial aid forms. Or, in some cases, they are simply not requested in the financial aid forms. The main two types of deposits that will count against will not count against you and that I, I typically see clients use to shelter their investments are insurance and annuities. So that's a good example of not knowing the rules. That's a mistake of omission. Now a mistake of commission is closely related. It could be that you mistakenly, when you're filling out your FAFSA, put the amount that you have saved into your child's name on the form. Or it could be that you mistakenly attribute your income to your kid. It's very easy to do this. 
by the way. It's not an intelligence thing if you make a mistake because the way the FAFSA works, and this is the easier form, you start off by entering student information, then you switch to parent, and then back to student, and then back to parent. So if you're not paying attention, it's very easy to mess up. So you really need to be very, very careful when it comes to filling out these forms if you are going to tackle them on your own. This is a shameless plug, but we prepare financial aid forms here at Lockwood College Prep. My wife, Pearl, files approximately 300 or more each and every year. So she is a true expert in making sure the forms are, pre are prepared accurately. And if there's any strategic moves that you can make to improve your eligibility, she spots those as well. Okay, what else can I tell you about financial aid? Unlike your tax returns, which have a date, and once you submit your returns, you're pretty much done with the process. In financial aid, after you file, that sometimes starts the process. After you file, you will receive a slew of requests and strange emails, including corrections and other types of information that you have to pay attention to. So another mistake that we see all the time is when parents ignore these emails, or worse, when kids ignore these emails, if you have things configured to go to their email accounts, which is not recommended. After you file, you might get requests for tax return information to be sent, or you might be verified, which is the equivalent of an audit. So they may say, where's the effect of, you did not tell us about a certain asset or that you have this asset at all. However, we looked at your tax return and we saw that you had some income from dividends or from capital gains. So please tell us what happened to that money. So be prepared to verify everything you put on the forms. And by the way, in case you're wondering, we don't recommend lying on these forms because the FAFSA is a federal form and the penalties for lying on your FAFSA and an omission is the same thing as a lie, then the penalties are severe enough that you want to take notice of them. I'm talking about stiff fines and potentially jail time. So next year, your son or daughter could go away to college and you could go away too. Hello, I'd like you to meet your new roommate, Bubba. So please be careful about what you put on the forms. And please be careful to monitor your email, uh, email communications from each school and from the FAFSA and from the College Board and the CSS profile. The last thing I want to talk about in the financial aid process is that most, not all, offers that you get from schools can be negotiated. So even after you get a subpar offer, it's not over until the fat lady sings. You can try to tell the financial aid office the story behind your numbers because frequently people don't realize that the form they fill out does not tell the whole story. So for example, if you have a child who's graduating 2019, the tax information that you will submit on your FAFSA will come from 2000 and 
17, two years prior, or as the Department of Education refers to it, prior, prior. So if you've had a significant change by the time you are filling out your financial aid forms in October or November of 2018, such as maybe you lost your job, or maybe you are self-employed and your business went south, or something along those lines, then that will not be reflected on the financial aid forms. However, you will have the opportunity to explain these special circumstances to the financial aid office. I should note here that the CSS profile allows a special circumstances disclosure, but in our 18 years of experience, this does not typically get paid much attention to by the financial aid office, so you might end up making the same appeal all over again, even though you wrote substantially the same verbiage when you applied the first time in the special circumstances section of the CSS profile. What are some other examples of special circumstances that they may not know about? Well, if you had some unusual expenses, because most expenses don't show up on the financial aid forms, that's why the financial aid offices will never know about it. So if you had unusually high legal bills or unusually high medical bills, or perhaps you took in a relative and supported them, it could be anything along those lines. That is information that you should convey to the financial aid office. If you live in a high-tax area, like where I am in Long Island, then there's probably not much benefit to saying, by the way, we live in a high-tax area, so even though I make a good income on paper, it doesn't really go too far. The reason that's not going to be too helpful is because that's not new information to the financial aid offices. They see your zip code and your address and know where you live when you apply. My favorite form of new information to give to financial aid offices has to do with offers from competing schools. Frequently, I'm able to negotiate more money from, on behalf of a client from one school after they gave either a lowball or just an average offer if I have another offer from a competing college that is better. I get a lot of questions about what constitutes a competing college or how do you figure out which colleges compete. Sometimes it's easy and intuitive if there are two colleges in the same athletic conference, so Michigan and Ohio State, Harvard and Yale, and so forth. Sometimes it's a little harder to figure out it could be two colleges that are reputable in certain departments, such as communications. So Syracuse has a great communications school, Newhouse, and University of Southern California also has a great communications program. I believe it's called the Annenberg School. So those I've played those two colleges off against each other when it came to merit scholarship offers. Everything I'm saying here makes sense and pertains to both financial aid and to merit scholarship offers. But I, I can also tell you that I am no way batting a thousand because I can write substantially the same appeal letter for two different clients on the same day and one can get zero and the other can get $52,000, which happened literally last year on the same day with 
two separate clients. So all I'm telling you is that these are principles that when applied properly and when the stars align will help you. My last comment I want to make about financial aid is you might be wondering, well, should we even bother applying? The answer is that there is a growing number of colleges that require the financial aid forms to be considered for merit scholarships. So locally here in New York, where I am, New York University, Fordham University are just two of the schools that require this. There are dozens of other schools. So even if you have it in your head that you should not file the financial aid forms because there's going to be no way that you'll ever possibly qualify, one of the reasons that you should file is because there might be a school on your list that wants the forms. Another reason has to do with financial strength. Pearl was on the phone with one of our clients uh, earlier today who is a doctor who makes seven figures. And her son's top choice school is a private liberal arts school on the eastern, uh, eastern seaboard. And she asked, why should we show our financial aid forms if we're not going to receive anything? And Pearl's response was, you are going to show a position of strength, that you don't need the need-based financial aid. You're more likely to get in if you demonstrate that. On top of that demonstration, perhaps her son will then, will then be offered a nice merit scholarship as well because they're hoping to curry favor with that family. And once the son graduates from this particular college, in theory, he could then turn into a supportive, i.e. financially supportive, alumnus. So those are the reasons why you should consider filing for financial aid, even if you know in your heart of hearts that you're not going to qualify. I guess the last reason you should file it is that you never really know. The average discount nationally is more than 49% off the cost of tuition, according to the National Association of Collegiate Business Officers. So bargains are to be had, and there is no obligation to pay full price. Paying full boat is a choice, not an obligation. I hope this helps you, and if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us on our website, LockwoodCollegePrep.com, where we have a lot of free information, including upcoming webinars and live local workshops if you're in the Long Island area here in New York. And you could also schedule a college strategy session. All that uh, information is on our site, LockwoodCollegePrep.com. Thanks a lot for watching or listening, as the case may be, if you're not watching the video here. And I'll talk to you. Hi, this is Andy Lockwood. Don't forget to visit our website, LockwoodCollegePrep.com, for some more free, valuable information on how you can multiply your chances of admission to your dream colleges and qualify for thousands or tens of thousands of dollars of fat, juicy scholarships along the way. Visit LockwoodCollegePrep.com for information on our free upcoming workshops and webinars and to download a copy of our number one best-selling book, How to Pay Wholesale for College. That's LockwoodCollegePrep.com. Bye-bye.